millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Jenny Queen on So What Do You Do All Day? I'm talking to Rita Arrigo, digital advisor for Microsoft and an AI feminist. Hi, Rita. Hi, Jenny Queen. How are you? Great. How are you doing today? Oh, very excited to be talking to you. Breaking up my day of cold and the Saturday, last day of maybe isolation in Australia. Is this the last day? Maybe. That's very you know, the exciting. Prime Minister has put out a three-stage kind of approach. So, yeah, it's very exciting. It's not the last day for me because I have a family member who's vulnerable. But, Ooh. I know, but I, I got to say, I think because I'm kind of introverted and stuff, this is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really enjoying having people bring stuff to me. and <laughs> You know, I do work for Microsoft to employ so many introverts. I know. It's like this is like this is boom time for introverts. It's really. They are so happy. They're like, I don't ever want to go back to work. This is fantastic. And I actually <laughs> wonder if there won't be a change in the marketplace where a lot more people will be working from home or at least having more flex time. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, but it's not that you don't work at home because you're still working. It's just that um, you're just not sitting in an office being on calls all day. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, you're just in your home being on calls all day. You are. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I'm at home with a, a, a my husband. I'm at home with a child and a puppy. So it's not – I don't get a whole lot of work done in my home. <laughs> At least creative work. But you I wanted to ask. You shut the door. <laughs> yeah, no joke. No, all the doors. Uh, my first question I ask everyone tends to be, so what do you do all day? Well, what do I do all day? Um, well, I, I do a lot of work at Microsoft um, thinking about um, how to make things more inclusive. Um, so I'm a design thinking practitioner. And so it's been really interesting time for me because I've had to think about how do I move all this stuff from paper-based interactions being in the same room to virtual. Um, so I've been doing lots of virtual workshops. Okay. So, yeah, so COVID has changed your day today. It really has. It has a lot because I think a lot of the work that I do was very face-to-face, lots of presentations, lots of meeting people, lots of reading the room, lots of interaction, and all of a sudden it's all digital. Um, so, yeah, so it's been been quite different, but I think it's, you know, the whole idea of design thinking is to give everyone a voice. 
And so to try and find that inclusion in the way we work digitally has been interesting. Now, when you say design thinking, that's very much a specialist term. And I wanted to ask you, could you describe for a layperson or my, my me <laughs> or for my <laughs> listeners the concept of design thinking? Sure. It actually comes from the whole, you know, agile, lean thinking um, where what you're trying to do is solve complex problems, but you're not doing it in the way we used to do it in the 70s where, you know, an engineer would sit down and build a product and then ship it to the customer and, you know, pray that they got it right. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it really thinks about um, the the actual end user and how they're how they're going to use the product and or solution or service or whatever it is that you're designing. And you really walk into those people's shoes. So you do a lot of, spend a lot of time empathising and thinking about what it's like to be them or even sometimes bring bring them into your design thinking workshops. Like next week I'm doing one with a whole lot of chemists where they're going to talk Ooh. to me about what they do today and then we're going to think about their pains that they have and how and their gains and how to reduce their pains and how to um, enhance their gains. And really start to think about how we can bring more digital tools into their world to to make their lives more fun. Okay. So can you give me an example of a way that that might work? Sure. So say, for example, where another project I'm doing at the moment is with a whole heap of marketers that would traditionally just basically do work on events, right? But guess what? We can't have events at the moment. <laughs> we sure can. <laughs> so they're like, well, what do we do instead? So really have to like get into the the, the mindset of, of your customer and like, you know, how they think and how they feel and where they read and where they get their content and really start to design an end-to-end experience that allows you to communicate with them away in a way that actually they care about. So it's not some boring email they get. Mm-hmm. It might be like a YouTube campaign or it might be um, a different way of being able to interact with people. And that comes from rethinking, you know, what people do all day. It's, it's very, very topical, you know, because... Um, when I do design thinking, I think about, you know, jobs to be done. What is What jobs do you do all day? So it's kind of perfect for your podcast. Yes, it is. What I was just thinking day? that. <laughs> so, like, you just have to get into people's mindset and then start thinking about, you know, how to design around that. Um, so that's an example. Another example is some work, you know, when we were always solving very complex problems like that. Um, so thinking about... Um, contact centers or thinking about um, apps or thinking about, you know, how do we promote health and wellness and, you know, what are some of the issues around that? So I've done some work with health insurance companies, Um, you know, all these companies that are going through dramatic change that really have to rethink how, what's their business model and um, what, what is, what is our future going to look like? And it sometimes takes a lot of collaboration and, um, bringing in lots of people with different opinions and people with different skills. And, and that's where, um, you know, when you think about things like AI, for example, um, artificial intelligence, it's not just about 
um, people that know data science. It's also about people that understand the societal context and how society works and trying to think about that side of things as well and bring those multidisciplinary people into the same room. Okay. And can you try to give me an example of, I'm trying to think of a way to bring AI into that kind of problem solving. For example, for marketing people who, who are not being able to hold events, is there an AI solution for that? Kind of. So I'll give you an example, all right? I was involved in the hackathon that Microsoft does every year. and <laughs> Which I'm so this, fascinated by, but yes. Yeah, so we take a whole week off to just think about problems and solve them. So we don't think about, you know, how we're going to make money out of the current product we're working on or, um, you know, how we're going to sell more of this or how we're going to debug that stuff. We're just like, we want to work on our own problems that we love. And this particular group of people were thinking about um, people with low sight. So we do a lot of work with inclusion around, you know, thinking about people with all ability, not just, you know, people that have different, you know, ability to hear or different ability to see. And so they thought, why why don't we have this ability to be able to use computer vision to take photos of what we see around us, um, be able to interpret it using deep learning and tell the person what they see. So, um, Seeing AI was born, and now a lot of blind people were able to use this app um, to take photos of what what's going on around them, and it will say, you know, um, there's a man with a frisbee, or you know, there's Ooh. there's a truck, or you know, there's a glass of water, or oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so not dissimilar also... to when you go to the, a film and they have the description, the the voice description of the film. Exactly. Um, wow. But this is on your iPhone, right? And one of the things they found is that um, we can do emotion recognition. So you can tell if someone's happy, sad, angry, um, confused, surprised. And so now when they're in a meeting, they can take a photo of the people in the meeting and it can give them their gender, their age and their emotion. Wow. So imagine if you were doing a virtual event and you could actually understand the emotion of the people listening to you. Um, wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be remarkable. Be able- and also that would have some utility for people with um, autism, I would think. Yeah. So that's what we're finding is the moment that you bring in people with all abilities, you can start not just solving for, you know, a smaller set of the population, but you can solve for that one-fifth of the population that has some kind of disability or some kind of um, neural difference or just differences that make the way we use software and solutions a little bit different to everybody else. That's really cool. I like that. I'm glad you liked it. So I want you to go home and install Seeing AI and have a play. I will. I'm, I'm really interested in this. So as part of your description, you have AI feminists. And I was just, and this kind of goes further into this idea. Um, what does it look like when men are the predominant designers of, you know, digital services and AI? I think it doesn't look great. <laughs> Well, okay. Can you give me some? I think it's, it excludes 50% of the population. I think it does, doesn't it? 50 full percent. Um, but how does that play out? Well, you know, AI is going to be used for all kinds of stuff. And there's already a lot of unfairness in our society, and bias in our society anyway. Car seats. Imagine when, Just sitting when, in a car. <laughs> yeah. So imagine when courts and the way we employ people and the way we give out credit becomes a, a, already a lot of it's already AI, a lot of it's AI enabled. But like, if you don't have 
a mixture and a diversity of people involved in these challenges, then I think we may get some reinforcement of stereotypes and we may, may get some lack of fairness in what's going on. And so I think as we automate and become more AI literate, it's got to be something that everybody thinks about, not just the geeks and the guys. Right, <laughs> right. So it has to be something that we bring all, you know, all gender, all racial description, all um, just basically everybody yeah. needs to be involved in this in this project. Absolutely. And it's real, you know, like already, you know, in the US people will um, analyse all the different courts and be able to decide which judge will give you the fairest um, outcome based on previous deep learning experiences or in employment, um, we're actually working on a, we do a lot of work in AI for good. Um, in the way jobs are, job descriptions are written and then how you actually get a job um, and how to take out some of the bias in that. Like, you know, how do you... Oh, that's great. You, yeah, and then in credit, that's a massive area. Can you imagine all the algorithms that decide whether you get credit or whether you don't? Um, and, you know, what what patterns are they using, et cetera? So I think really bringing, um, bringing that diversity into AI thinking is really, really important. So you could, in theory, pull some of the racism out of the system? Ideally, um, well, at the moment, there is a, you know, there's a lot of debate around what we're doing with facial recognition and where we're allowed to use it and how often we're allowed to use it and, you know, like what it really would be like if you could be driving along and, you know, you'd be continually surveyed. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of these technologies, um, you know, there's, there's, there's got to be a lot of responsible thinking around a lot of those kind of things. So, um, and particularly if we don't have the right training data and, you know, they haven't been designed in a way that we know they're fair, then they should, probably shouldn't be used. Yeah, I agree with that. Just like everything, if you're, if you're not positive it's going to work fairly and be used responsibly, then maybe wait. Yeah, so, so there's some of the things I get up to in my day. Well, that's a pretty interesting day. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, and so sometimes I play with the AI stuff. Um, so, you know, like uh, I'll use the computer vision. I've got this amazing app that I love that um, takes pictures of um, flora, fauna and animals. So it will which tell one, me what which they one is are. It? Which app is called that? called iNaturalist. I have that app. Do you have it? Yes. Do you love it? I love it. I have that one, and I have plant ID, and I have mushroom ID. Yeah, I mean, that stuff's awesome. <laughs> They're really cool. Um, and, I, and I really do think AI is one of those one of those um, new technologies that's really going to, and I think that's why people are a little scared of it. And so AI for good is really important because you can think about all these complex challenges we have in the world, like climate change. You know, and like, how do we how do we make more food? And you know, how do we use AI for good in health? And how do we do it? Use it for humanitarian gains, um, and all those kind of areas where you know having more data and being able to use deep learning can dramatically enhance some of our learning. And when we say deep learning, I mean, are we just talking about algorithms? I think it's a combination. It's a combination of like the computer vision I was talking about, 
um, the the um, ability to be able to understand speech and be able to um, understand words and then, you know, the ability to teach um, the learning algorithms. So a lot of the algorithms algorithms don't do what's called machine teaching where you're actually you know teaching within so this it's a it's a, a brand new world of evolution so it's more than just deep learning okay and, and that's kind of where um I guess that's where I kind of fall off my understanding I don't and that's fine because that's not my field but I sort of I, I don't completely understand how it's working which is where the fear comes in I suppose yeah, and that's where it's even more reason for um, us to educate ourselves in that space. Absolutely. Um, so I find some really crazy ways to educate myself because I actually find it really boring reading books and doing online courses. Really? <laughs> a little bit. That's, that, that's fair. There's a lot of different ways to learn. Yeah, and so one of the ways that I really enjoy learning and I think a lot of people are in this situation um is hands-on like just do it and learn it right and so when I wanted to learn about AI I started to hack um and so (laughs) I and I wanted to learn about IoT like I didn't know what IoT was I don't know what it is five years ago and I'm like what the hell is it what's internet of things how do the sensors work how do they send data to the cloud what do we actually do with that data wait what is (laughs) IoT going to be useful so IoT is like this internet of things so there's these tiny little sensors and there's going to be thousands and thousands and they're already like we already have 27 sensors in our iPhone for example that can you know tell how how we're walking or tell our disk you know tell us where we are geospatially um all that that kind of stuff. Okay. So imagine then you have sensors in cars. We already have a lot of sensors in our cars, but you know, um, sensors in water, um, the way water is distributed. Um, you know, and, and I did this, it was so funny. It was this IoT hackathon where you got your own little IoT kit, which has like a little computer on it, and you can like weld all the different sensors. It was so geeky, weld all the different sensors into this little kind of sensor so that you can like identify whether it's getting hot or you can identify the depth or you can under so and we built like this this compost bin that allowed you to know no that's cool i'm just thinking like how big are these they like teeny like nanoparticles are they teeny 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 no they're like they're like like the arduino is um it's like the size smaller than a mobile phone but some of the sensors are really tiny. Like you could put sensors in chairs. Wow. So these other people wanted to, these other people were crazy. They were like, I hate going to the park and I can't get a barbecue. So they put sensors in the barbecue and then added an app so that you could know when the barbecue was available. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, oh, man, I guess. Uh, right. Make it work oh. for you, right? <laughs> You just think of the craziest shit. Then um, these other people were like, you know, well, we've got a lot of problems in our cities where there's not enough plants, but no one knows how to grow plants. So what if we put sensors in the plants and then people can figure out when to water them properly and when what light they need and all that kind Could of stuff. Could that work? Yeah, they won. Really? Um, <laughs> can they get one of those for my orchid, please? Because, <laughs> And I think you'll see a lot of, um, a lot of, 
you know, already when you walk into places like Bunnings, there's a whole smart home section where, you know, you can talk to your lights and you can um, have all those cameras that will open your doors and um, a lot of those. I talk to my lights anyway, but they don't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to your blinds. That's that really cool. I, then there's the part of me, I am so push-pull. Like, part of me is like, that's so cool. And then part of me is like, but the singularity. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, a, I've got a, a two Z generation daughters, and my younger one is actually going to do uni, um, and she's doing this. She's kind of really the kind of degree I would like to do because what I'm doing today is I've had to teach myself, but she's going to be going to uni to learn how to do design thinking and bring the creative and the technology together to be able to design things in the future, right? Which, and I think, you know, a lot of kids coming out of uni will have a lot of these skills that we don't have. Um, But she's like, I don't want to talk to the lights. That's just lame. (laughs) (laughs) I want the lights to know. Like, so she's into this whole ambient thing where you don't have to talk to anything. It just knows. It's just going to know. See, that's even scarier. (laughs) That's even giving it more information. You're giving it more power. (laughs) I know, but, you know, it actually would be an amazing world, like, to free up. And I think we've been thinking about this from the 60s, you know. We've been thinking about freeing ourselves from all that kind of stuff of, you know, the mechanical and and the and all those jobs that we have to do. Ah, oh, my head is so anyway. full. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, this is so I'm carrying on too much. You are not. That's what this is for. <laughs> this is what I love. So I know that you've been, you work on um, or you've been thinking around holographic experiences. Is that true? Is that the? Yes. Tell me about yes. that. All right. So I've been working on computers for 20 years. And they haven't really changed much. It's just a screen. <laughs> the most exciting thing that happened was the internet and the web browser. Yeah. So it was about it. But then when mixed reality came along and you could, like, have these spatial experiences and, like, really be in 3D spaces that were mapped out and you could, like, bring really big things into your world and, like, walk around them, um, it completely changed, you know, for me, the way that you think about um certain things so um for example i've been working with this organization that really it's it's the center for transformative um, media and they're really doing a lot of that bringing the creative and the technical together um and they're you know starting to think about you know how do we help people uh rehabilitate once they've had some kind of surgery and they're Mm. having to do exercises that they don't want to do that are really painful yes and so they created like this amazing experience emerged in virtual reality where you're zen gardening and like it's really or you're building the other one is you're building a a cosmos so you're like you have to move the planets around and you get to throw the sun and you know all this kind of stuff wouldn't that have some application in any kind of pain 
like kind of, yeah, chronic so pain situation. All of a sudden you're doing stuff that you you find painful, but because you're doing it in play, in game, in a spatial, immersive environment, you do it. And so like there's a lot of these kind of things that are happening. Like I've got this other company that I've worked with that are doing it around, you know, being able to give you um, the ability, it's kind of like drugs for your brain to kind of bring you up and bring you down, but not those kind of, this real kind of um, meditative approach that, you know, a lot of people struggle to find how to meditate and they really help you to kind of, you know, bring yourself down and relax yourself and then bring yourself up. Um, so, just, so so it's a, so, it's a, an AI supported way of meditating? Yeah. Wow. They call it, you know, drugs for your brain. Um, and so a lot of these kind of things are coming out of mixed reality and then, you know, being able to, like one of the projects, um, we have this amazing capture studio where it's like heaps and heaps and heaps of cameras and it can really capture someone in 3D so that when I put my mixed reality headset on, you're standing there talking to me and you're really real um, and I can walk around you and then you can also start to holoport um, real people kind of um, in that space as well. So a lot of these really immersive experiences that um, we've never really been able to do before. And um, so I'm imagining things like, you know, Aboriginal elders, for example, that we can um, keep them forever and like be able to talk to them in, in by making them holograms. And we've already done a lot of this kind of work with uh, lots of other famous people. Like David How do they feel about that? I thought that image, capturing images wasn't a good thing or... Yeah, I don't know. They're getting very modern in that space because, okay. and I think that's that's part of, um, I don't know, the digitization of society is that we're finding new ways to, mm. um, you know, in the same way that the Indigenous Australians, when they first started um, doing dot paintings, they weren't natural. That was just something that they did because they bought acrylic paints and they could, you know, they started to didn't have their traditional ceremonies anymore. And so they started to um, do a lot of that kind of stuff. So it's that kind I of transition. I did not know that, do. by the way. Today, today I learned. Thank you so much for that. I love this. I, I love the experience of this podcast because I learn so much every time. I bet. And especially these experts you get to talk to. It is so amazing. And I, it's just the best experience. I love hearing people's stories and I love learning. And every time I learn some little bit like that. Which is so yeah. cool. Um, but I, I was that's really interested in the, ho the holographic thing. I'm so torn on this. Like, on the one hand, I think, yes, that's amazing. I, I want that. And on the other hand, I'm like, then they're going to end up using it where, like, your boss is going to be standing over you while you're having a meeting in a holographic form. And that's going to feel weird. This is really interesting what you're saying to me because I think imagining what's possible with this stuff is quite hard. So that's well, I, I can why. imagine big and good. And then I can imagine Yeah, but that's small why you really got to <laughs> first try the technology, um, have a diverse set of people in the room, be able to like nut out a problem. Um, so an example of something like that is, well, do you really want your boss to come in on a holographic environment or are you a surgeon working on a really complex thing and the only surgeon that knows is um, – 24 hours away in a plane, do you want him to come in and have a look 
and see what's going on. That would be amazing, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's more about being able to bring experts in when you need them um, to be able to, to solve more complex problems. So actors are using it um, at things like, you know, the British um, Association for Film. They've recently purchased a whole lot of these um, HoloLenses because, you know, when they design a lot of these virtual um, movie theater, movie sets where you might have a whole lot of CGI, it's really hard to act around it because you don't actually know what's there. Of course. Right. So then they'll put the HoloLens on, get used to the whole scene and be able to understand it so that when they when they're acting in it, they actually know what's going on. It's a fantastic um, idea, yeah. Yeah, so lots of these kind of experiences that transport you into spaces in a more natural way than Skype or Teams or of FaceTime. Course. <laughs> My brain just went too fast. I'm back to the Indigenous elder concept. Yeah. Isn't that, is that that's really interesting because in keeping with the religious or the, I don't know, the cultural ideals of people sort of exist in and out of time in a way in the whole, I don't know, cosmological space. Um, yeah. Right? In, in, the, in the indigenous belief system and the dream time system, I guess. Um, yeah, but they have these really strong desires to maintain their language and culture. Mm. And to maintain their um, elders, and they, with so many languages, they're like it, it really stresses them out, knowing that you know languages are going to die, um, and you know being able to preserve preserve a lot of this stuff digitally is really exciting to them. That'd be fantastic for uh, in the United States and in Canada, and well, actually all over the world for Indigenous cultures. Yeah. So, yeah, so it is really big. So I actually work really closely and I'll have to, um, you'll have to ask Nicola Jade, who's just one of my, one of my colleagues. Um, and she is, and she only found out she was Indigenous later in her life, but she was, she's a technologist and, you know, she's doing lots of amazing things and she's went to the UN and talking to a whole lot of um, Indigenous cultures about maintaining their heritage. Um, and hence we now have, AI for cultural heritage. That is amazing. Um, and so there's a whole lot of work going on in that space around preserving culture, language, and history in using AI and mixed reality. So they preserve this um, priceless architecture in France where you can, like, walk around it. We know we've done some work with Australian Indigenous people. So, yeah, so I think the whole AI for cultural her heritage is, is quite an exciting area. I've I've been really impressed since the COVID closures. There have been several um, cultural institutions or museums um, that have opened up for like it's not quite the same as you're talking, but it's like 3D museum tours and things like that. Yeah. So my son and I have been able to go online and check out you know things at the Louvre or things in Egypt and having a fine time with that. Things we'd not have normally gotten to see. Um, and I've really enjoyed the opportunities that have come up. Yeah, because I think in the past we used to think that the digital experience wasn't as good as the physical experience, right? We always think it's... You know, it's I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't want to wait in a line, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Um, just To try me. and look at Mona Lisa, And I did that, uh, you know, and it's real far away and... <laughs> 
It's a lot of people. And they can get a better look online. Um, I, I think, you know, you can't get close enough to get the emotional punch in real life, actually, unless you have a special access. So, yeah. Uh, so I think we're we're rekindling this idea that digital experience can be just as good. But imagine these more immersive experiences where you can, like, walk around that Egyptian sculpture. I really want to um, do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or be present for, like, a, a dig. And, you know, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh. Like, so, and, and I think, and I reckon that's why, you know, a lot of people are saying that Gen Z are really suffering during this COVID phase. And that's because a lot of them are learning and a lot of our learning tools haven't really been um, taken to that immersive experience yet. And I think that is the next, you know, the next era is to start creating that immersion in the way we learn as well. I hope so. I absolutely, I think that'd be amazing. And it would be... I mean, I'm. We're trying to use as much as we can. Find at my house anyway, but to the, you know, the more tools, the better, I suppose. Yeah. So yeah. So the design thinking workshops I do, I do for for mixed reality as well. So that's part of my day. <laughs> what a day! Every mm. day is like a, a a couple of years for me in one of your days. I think. <laughs> It's a bit of discovery, yeah, but also thinking about things um, more inclusively as well. Yeah, no, that's a very important part, it sounds like, of what you're doing, and it's really cool. Um, and it's very vital. It's really important. And I, I'm so glad that people are finally starting to um, realize how important it is and get, you know, get that together. Um, how did you get into this, may I ask? Oh, my God. I... Um, engineering as a young girl it was really great doing engineering because you know there was five girls and a thousand guys it was really good for dating great <laughs> for dating <laughs> yes but it's a very weird experience in terms of trying to get um your very own very weird experience dominance. um and you know you, you can only join so many women in engineering societies um <laughs> yeah and you actually don't want to be in them because there's only five girls there and a thousand guys so you have to find ways to um be able to have a voice and be heard and be as relevant so after i did engineering i didn't actually go to become an engineer because I, I entered the world of computing um, and uh, I started in sales because I've, you know, got a bit of a chatty personality and everyone wants to talk to me. Um, and, <laughs> and then um, I went back to uni and did marketing and so I really started to learn this new language that I didn't know anything about, which was, you know, understanding consumer behaviour and like a lot of these things that engineers never really get to learn. Um then I worked in telco, the internet was born um, and and I just kind of got lucky and got a job at Microsoft as well. So wow. but I, before I was working at Microsoft, I was working within digital consulting agencies and different places like that. So there was a whole lot of value I was bringing to Microsoft as well. I, was gonna say, life, I don't like, think it's pure luck, frankly. <laughs> yeah, and the way I joke about it is like, um, you know, and even the CEO will say for this, I don't work for Microsoft, Microsoft work for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I love how people find their jobs. I think it's fascinating. Some people know what they want to 
be when they are a little kid and they just take the straight path. And then a lot of people I talk to, very many people I talk to, just sort of, I don't know, it's not stumbling into their jobs. It's, it's they just have a happy, happy bumble or something. I don't know what it is. They end up where they need to be. <laughs> yeah, because, because you don't know what really suits you to get there. Yeah, kind of like true. falling in love, isn't it? It's very <laughs> like it, isn't it? Yes. It's funny. It's like, I don't know if I love him until it happens, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you can't predict it. Like, now, you know, so so I think you have to you have to try things and you gotta see if you like it and see if they like you and see if it works and see if you've got the aptitude for it. And also, you know, sometimes people get sick of it as well. So you've got to always try and change what you're doing. So for me, I'm always trying to learn new things and change my skill sets so that I can um, stay fresh. But you have such a creative job. I mean, there's something new, in my opinion, like the kind of job you're doing is so creative. So um, I hate the term out of the box, but it is. It Um, is a little out of the box, yeah. It seems like it'd be real hard to get bored there. Yeah, definitely. And it's very hard to switch off. So it's really funny because I work for Microsoft, right? And you can go to a meeting at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. Mm, that's true. That's so yeah. <laughs> you can and you can just keep working. So yeah, so it's, it is really about trying to prioritize and find the right things and not overwork yourself. Of course. <laughs> I do have a practical question about all this technology or all this yeah, um, go on. this new exciting stuff. So when you're dealing with regions like ours with sort of suboptimal internet speeds. What then is the experience? Because I'm having frozen Zoom face a lot. So how do you do these spectacular things? Um, Well, I've got I've got a bit of MBN here, which is kind of I'm pretty happy with. Um, I've got a 5G phone. So to me, I'd rather have the best internet than the latest designer outfit. <laughs> I get that. Me too. I mean, I, I'm with you on that. Um, so, so I think we need to fight for it and have really good internet. But you know, it's it's not everybody's cup of tea. So, um, but I think we're really well positioned in Australia with AMBN and with what we're doing with five G. Um, 5G is going to be a game changer. So that's rolling out over the next, you know, six to eight months. Oh, it is? Uh, I'm a little behind. I didn't actually know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's all the anti-vaxxers that don't want 5G because they're worried about, you know, all the radiation we're going to get from it. <laughs> really? Okay. I'm No, I just need some internet speed happening because it, it's <laughs> not working for me. Internet. I want a hello port, you know, like I need big fat pipes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just wonder, because like, I, I do find that like when I'm visiting my parents in America, it's so fast and everything happens so fast. And when I'm in my house, it's so slow. <laughs> yeah. I get really frustrated and I wondered, can you do all these spectacular things? Well, I think that's why we spend so much money on the NBN. Like, how much money did we spend? And how long did it take? Right. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. It's wonderful talking to you. You've got all kinds of stories. I mean, literally, I could go for days talking to you, but um, maybe some other time I'll get to interview you again. I want to revisit some of these people. And I just cannot wait to go listen to your podcast. Thank you so much. It's been (laughs) awesome talking to you, and have a great one. You too, ciao. Bye bye. Bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.